champions. Welcome everyone back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football, sort of a slow time. Coaches are on vacation, Dave. Pac-12 administrators making their millions of dollars. They're on vacation I wasn't on vacation last week. I was out of town. Dave did a solo show, but we're going to still do a show this week. It's going to be questionable the next couple of weeks because I'm going on vacation. But lots going on in the world that we can talk about still, even with all these people on vacation. If you have any, if you have any questions you want to send to us, we love to answer them. Pactful podcast at gmail.com. You could also call us or text us. That's the same number, 424-532-0678. Leave us a voicemail. Send us a text. We do love to hear from you. You want to tweet at us. We try to do that a little bit more often at Pac-12 Podcast. The website, of course, Pac-12Podcast.com, where you can find all the old episodes and our picks and things like that. And, you know, subscribe, rate us, give us a positive review, five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those kind of fun things. And David, I thought you did a good job reading the little business part in the beginning last week. That wasn't bad. I thought it was smooth. I thought it was smooth. And uh, look, for all intents and purposes, you were on vacation. You want to know why? Because you weren't doing your most important job, and that is reading those reads <laughs> off the document. I needed you here to do that, and you weren't doing it, and uh, and that's vacation to me. We do have a new iTunes review. Oh, we do. Any good? Oh, yeah. You ready? Yep. Five stars. This is from Paul and Maggie in Vienna. So an international listener. A solid, reliable listen. High praise. Uh, I've been a listener since the beginning of the 2018 season, and I have to say these guys put on an enjoyable show. They focus mainly on football, but sometimes veer off topic. However, the material is almost always entertaining. Small quibble. Dave's recounting of the Malayan emergency and the counterinsurgency actions by the British military left a lot of important details out. I'd suggest he read War of the Running Dogs by Noel Barber for a decent overview. Nevertheless, a fine show put on by good hosts. I look forward to it every week. Find me a better football podcast review. Find it. That's pretty darn good. (laughs) What's that book? I got to write that down. (laughs) War of the Running Dogs by Noel Barber, everyone out there. Um, that that made my day. That made this show for sure. That's pretty awesome. Uh, thanks for that review. There, I mean, I, it's amazing how many smart people like are reviewing our show. So I, I don't know what it is, if they're listening out of pity or what, but they're, they, they listen. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. Um, I, many of them uh, can call me out on my um, knowledge, which is a mile wide and an inch deep. So it's great. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> you do. You you can speak on uh, a lot of different topics. That's good. But yeah, I can speak for a couple of minutes about most things, that's, and that's that's about as deep as I go. Nice. Um, well, we got a lot to get to. We want to talk about some coaches on the hot seat. Maybe they'll be taking longer vacations than than what they're taking right now. Before we do, Dave, I want to tell everyone about Mac Weldon. Uh, the mission at Mac Weldon, very simple. Make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. I've been shopping at Mac Weldon for the last couple of years. I really love it. You go to MacWeldon.com. 
really smart design. They have premium fabrics. And the shopping experience is very simple. You can go on there and find exactly what you want. Uh, I go in there and I know where I'm going because I wanted what I want to get. Recently, I bought the Ace and Radius uh, sweatpants. I've been going down to the, the beach a lot. Sometimes it's a little chilly in the morning, and I'll take the Radius pants down there. The Ace ones I'm going to be bringing. I'm going on vacation to, uh, to Europe, Dave. I'm going to be going over there doing a little golfing in Ireland and Scotland. And uh, these weren't advertised as golf pants, but I've been using them as golf pants. So uh, really cool stuff. Check, Make sure you go check out the Ace and Radius uh, pants on uh, MacWeldon.com. But they'll make, they make great underwear, socks, shirts that look good, and they also perform really well. I work out in a lot of the Mack Welding stuff all the time, so make sure you go check it out. Um, like I said, I love the Ace and Radius sweatpants. Uh, a lot of the boxer briefs are great, too. I do my uh, spin classes and stuff in those. Very comfortable. They don't ride up or anything. So make sure you go check it out. Um, for You're going to get 20% off, all of our listeners, for your first order. If you go to MacWeldon.com and then enter promo code POC at checkout. That's for Podcast of Champions. So MacWeldon.com, enter promo code POC at checkout, and you're going to get 20% off your first order. So Dave, good stuff there. I'm looking forward to wearing my my pants over there in uh, in Europe because it might be a little rainy and they're kind of slick. So I think they'll be uh, help me with the if they're if it does rain when we're trying to golf. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, I've never been. To you're Ireland. gonna go over there. You're gonna go over there, and you're gonna golf. That's what you're gonna do. That's how you're gonna spend your European vacation. That was the first thing on your list. Well, it's a friend's uh, big birthday, and he loves golf. I golf with him all the time, and he wanted to go. What's he turning? Sixteen? Eighteen? He's turning fifty. So. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Uh, so doing some. We're gonna play Albert Carnoustie. We're playing. Uh, Royal Aberdeen, a bunch of like old, old courses that, you know, the birthplace of golf. So a lot of people go over there for like bucket list golf things. So should be fun. That'll be great. Um, are there any big birthdays after you hit like 21? <laughs> Isn't it all just a slow, like kind of just decline into, I'd prefer not to celebrate my birthday or is that just me? No. Yeah. I think, no, you're, I think you're right. Uh, I saw my wife was watching some reality show yesterday and, and like one of the girls on it turned 35 and someone got her a cake that said halfway to 70. So I think you can make it kind of fun. Uh, but I think for 35, it's 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 you have a mock presidential campaign. I think that's what you do at 35. Because you can actually. Yeah, you can run. You for, could run. Yeah, you could run. That, see, yeah. one of those things, David, I knew that, too. But one of those things, David knows. That's good. That's one of the things I know. Yeah. Hey, big time. Um, awesome. All right. Well. Do you want to start off with the Pac-12 hot seats? It was an interesting article from College Football Talk. Um, yeah, you know what? I have a few things to cite at the jump of this article. First, um, if you guys get a chance, uh, Google Pac-12 coaches on hot seat college football talk um, and just look at the <laughs> shirt, sweater, Whatever it is that Clay Helton is wearing, whatever brand of material that it is that Nike puts this out on, he wears the worst goddamn shirts, clothes, sweatshirts, whatever. If you have an article of clothing, this man wears the worst version of it. I'm <laughs> continuously astounded by how bad. And while Steve Alford was at UCLA and Clay Helton was at USC, the like sartorial, like just absolute catastrophes these guys are put on. Every single game. It's it's truly incredible, and I'm happy for them. Um, and this is coming from somebody who's not a fashion plate. You know this, Ryan. Yes. But man, oh man, 
bad clothes, those guys. Anyway, they make uh, way too much money for this. You just dropped sartorial. That's like something about tailoring, isn't it? Or Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of using it more broadly, referring to just kind of generally clothing. But yes. And then the second piece that I wanted to okay. cite is that this article was written by your former intern, Brian Fisher. <laughs> the connections to Ryan Abraham run deep in the college football world. That is funny. Anyway. I didn't even notice let's, that. Let's now, let's now talk about some hot seating. Yeah. Um, so you're going to start off with the, uh, the white hot heat. Wasn't that, uh, was hot, hot heat. That was like a, um, that was a band. Hot, hot heat was, yeah. Hot, hot heat. It was a band. White, hot heat was nothing. Hot, hot heat was, that was bandages. I think that song, I think that was their song. It was pretty good. Yeah. 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 Like Like a nineties or two early two thousands. Anyway, early two thousands. Who would you guess Dave is the white, hot heat seat? I would I would imagine it's the man pictured in the cover photo. Right. In his uh beautifully tailored uh sweatshirt that you love. Uh that would be Clay Clay Hilton. Um USC's head coach. They mentioned uh already talk about Urban Meyer potentially being a replacement. But yeah, I mean you go five and seven at USC. The last guy to do that was Paul Hackett. Um, so yeah, it doesn't look you know, he's I think he's got the potential to turn things around, but if he doesn't, then it seems like that 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 seat is certainly very very hot. Yeah, scorching. And uh, I mean, you're basically saying if he doesn't win nine games at the bare minimum, he's probably, um, you know, going to incinerate. I think would be what would happen if you continue to sit on that seat. My guess, but the I think USC fans are most worried about like an eight and four season, which seems you know there's probably a fairly good likelihood of something like that happening. Cause maybe that's not enough. Um, I think eight and four, it would show, I think a lot of USC fans would just kind of prove to them like, Hey, he's not the right guy, but do you fire someone after eight and four? You know? So, uh, I think that's what a lot of the fans are worried about. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I know that feeling. <laughs> I know that feeling from, um, the last, uh, 20 years of UCLA football. So, uh, good luck with that, everybody. Um, I think that's completely justified. I mean, I, I think uh, at, at this point, you you I mean, USC is still by virtually any standard the most talented team in the league. If they continue to go five and seven, anywhere from five and seven to eight and four, come on, yeah, it's done. Got to be done. Makes sense. Um, they mentioned the new guy, Mel Tucker at Colorado. So no no uh, no hot seat there. He's brand new. Um. This is kind of interesting. After one year, lukewarm, he gives both a Kevin Sumlin and Herm Edwards uh, lukewarm status. I, I would think Herm Edwards earned points, like for at least the people that were questioning him after you know finishing second in the division last year. But what, what do you think about those two guys being lukewarm? I think the truth of the matter is there's one guy on a super hot seat in this entire league, and everyone else is varying degrees of safe. Um, yeah, if, if Arizona or Arizona State had a truly bad season this year, yeah, then they would be, but they're still not going to be fired. You know what I mean? For, for a guy to be lukewarm at the beginning of the year, there would have to be, for me, potential that he could be fired by the end of it. And I don't see that for really anybody in the league this year. Um, and, and so Cristobal is obviously recruiting really well at Oregon, but that comes with a downside, which is... If you don't start performing, then your seat gets hotter, maybe quicker than somebody who's recruiting at a leisurely pace because you're raising fan expectations. It's a, 
it's a it's a psychological thing. Um, when you raise your own expectations with the talent level, that's that's kind of a byproduct of it. Um, the Arizona schools aren't doing that. They're not recruiting at some super unsustainable level. Um, and their performance in week and year one, neither of them was so bad that it like immediately thrust you onto a hot seat. It wasn't like they went two and 10 or three and nine. Um, yeah. so no, I, I don't see that one. Um, what I could, there's nobody else. And maybe you can decide maybe there's nobody else on this list that I would see as, um, potentially being fired at the end of the year from a performance perspective. Yeah, I agree with you there. It, it is funny when you mentioned that because part of a college football coach's job, I mean, a huge part of it is recruiting. And one of those things where you recruit really well, it's, it's, you get credit for sure, but they're also your expectations go up. It's sort of like a, you know, a sales guy has a huge quarter and gets this big bonus but then your your quotas go up after that. So like you, you better sell a lot more than what you just did. You can't have like just a good you know a good quarter or something. Like you have to keep keep that up. Um, but you're it's a little. I mean, it's different in college football where if you kind of recruit at a you know mediocre level, maybe the expectations aren't as high. But shouldn't you be expected to recruit at a higher level than that? It's it's kind of weird. It's one of those things where you do you do your job really well and then it turns the heat up on your you, you've you've turned the heat up on yourself by doing that yeah it's it's very strange and, and yeah I, I would just herm edwards so like and also if you're going to do a hot seat thing there, there's no chance herm edwards gets fired this year because they'd have to fire their ad too who's his former agent yeah like, there's just that, that's not happening um, I guess Kevin Sumlin, fine if it, uh, relatively hotter than everybody else, maybe I don't know. Um, and then th- I've got a few other nitpicks. I'm just nitpicking now. Uh, Mike Leach is safe and secure, but not frozen solid. Um, there's a pretty good chance Mike Leach is going to go down as like Washington State's best coach ever if he stays there another five years. Yeah, like there's there's a decent chance that happens. Um, he's he he could stay there for another 50 years and they're not firing him again for performance on the field maybe something weird happens at some point and he goes all Craig James's kid on him but it's not happening um chip kelly what makes him materially safer than kevin sumlin right now record i mean tra- track record i think track record yeah um and the i mean but both guys you made an investment in both guys had performed at a high level uh, you know, at, at major programs in college football. But yeah, I, I kind of would think Chip Kelly would be on the same. I wouldn't go and safe I'm not, and secure. Yeah, I would say they're both kind of in the safe and secure spot right now. Yeah. Somebody's going to fire him after a, yeah, a year. So, But I wouldn't put him in a different um, category. No, they're the same thing. The one guy that I would look at is maybe Justin Wilcox. Um, you know, I, I think he would be a level below where those guys are. I mean, he's won some big games. Um, you know, the defense is amazing, but it's, it's the pac 12. And when you can't offense the pac 12, I, I think there's questions there, you know, and if they go through another iteration of trying to figure out the offense and it doesn't work, um, he was a first time head coach. He doesn't have any sort of track record. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't look at him as completely safe and secure I, I don't think I don't see him getting fired after this year but I wouldn't put him in that category I would put him down where 
like Herm Edwards and, uh, and, and Kevin Sumlin are, and don't think even they should be there, but I would, I would think he would be a little bit below them. Yeah. And honestly, I would say, um, the main thing to keep in mind is, uh, how, how, how long have these guys been in their spot? Um, Wilcox has been there two years, so he is, I mean, in, in a really cynical parlance, he is a year closer to getting fired than any of those other guys, because so many ADs still make decisions based on, all right, let's give him four years. Um, so Wilcox, two more bad years or two more mediocre years. Yeah, he's gone. Uh, Kelly, it might take three more years. Uh, Sumlin and Edwards, it might take three more years. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's like a real politic way of looking at this. And then there's also just like the simple facts on the ground. And I, I think you got it right. White hot heat, Clay Helton, for sure. I think Clay Helton's the one that if you had to predict who's going to get fired at the end of the year, he's the only name that would really come up. Yeah. And everyone else is varying degrees of safe. I think that's probably the best way to look at this. Yeah, his frozen solid people are David Shaw, Chris Peterson. I don't agree with this one. I think Kyle Whittingham, he's got to, you know, he's got to perform. <laughs> Otherwise, Utah's probably going to get rid of him. You know, I, I'm I, not kidding. <laughs> there were a lot of Utah fans who were salty last as as recently as last offseason about Kyle Whittingham never being able to be, win the big one or uh, win the division. Yeah. So well, he's done that. Uh, now. That that's. That's not even, you know, super jokey. I don't think Stanford would ever get rid of David Shaw, but if you're looking at trend lines, um, Stanford's isn't great the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, you could see within a couple of years them getting to a point, um, especially if this year is bad. And you've got them being pretty good. I've got them being pretty mediocre. Uh, if they if they put two mediocre ones together, um, those four Stanford fans that email us, they might get pretty pissed off. You've doubled it. It used to be two. Now you said four. Well, more of them have emailed angry about Christopher McCaffrey. So right. I, I think we're at four now. <laughs> it, it was funny listening to your show last week uh, when I was in Dallas, you know, and and you get the feeling like that with the fans, when the fans are listening and they're like, I can't believe those idiots said that stupid thing. So I get to do that just listening to you. I'm like, what the, wait, wait, why did David say that? So it was kind of funny. I got to experience from the other side. Yeah, but obviously you didn't have any reactions like that because um, <laughs> I was I was on point and uh, fantastic yeah. the entire time. But most of yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the whole Christian McCaffrey thing—you failed to mention that I was the one saying he was one of the most exciting players of the decade. And you, I just assume people are continuous listeners; they know they, <laughs> you they heard the previous that. show. And then the Stanford fan came in with all kinds of facts and stuff, and you were like, "Yeah, whatever," you know. Facts, schmacks. <laughs> <laughs> for those okay Whittingham Peterson and Shaw like if if those programs kind of perform at the level they're at now not you know not significantly less than what they're doing now who would be the first to get fired of those I mean I like Whittingham I don't see him I, I don't even know if he had bad records if they would he just seems like perfect for Utah like I, I don't I don't see that ever the, happening that, that and that's what I'm saying the only one of these three who I think is in any danger in like the next three years is possibly Shaw yeah and that's if the if the bottom really fell out yeah but uh, interesting article from our buddy Brian so uh thought about that it's you know it, I, I because you have so many new coaches it does make it a little more difficult. Um, and, and the one guy you thought could potentially be with the Herm Edwards, cause it was so questionable. He overperformed, you know, he performed better than a lot of people thought. So, um, now if they stink it up this year, I think he's recruited pretty well too. If they stink it up this year, then, you know, maybe that go everyone goes back to, ah, oh, see, I, I was right about him and blah, blah, blah. But interesting one there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else we have? Anything else good? I put them all in there, so they're all good. <laughs> this is I'm reading them, and I'm like, these are kind of garbage. Um, this is all we got. It's so it looks like time. Washington State safety Jalen Thompson was deemed ineligible for the season because he purchased an over-the-counter supplement, uh, which is an NCAA violation, and has entered uh, the NFL supplemental draft. What that means is now Washington State's defensive secondary returns just two starters from last year, which is, I think, two starters more than USC returns. Yep. Yep. Uh, Cornerback Marcus Strong and converted nickel Skylar Thomas. Um, Bryce Beekman, a JC transfer, made a good impression during spring camp, um, and he'll probably be the new starting free safety um, after uh, after Skylar Thomas made the move from safety to nickel. Um yeah, I, I'm. I I feel you know. Uh, Washington State's defense took a step back last year um, from where it was under Alex Grinch. Um, so we'll see what it looks like now. Two years removed. Yeah. Um, but they. Uh, that's not great for their defense. No, he was all Pac-12 um, guy. So um, you know, it's just one of those things like replacing uh, Gardner Minshew is a big deal, but you know, like you said, the defense took a little bit of a step back. You'd like to see some, you know, a veteran like that, who I think he led the team in tackles like his sophomore year. Um, you know, someone having someone like that certainly would, would help just another guy. You gotta, you kind of have to replace for sure. Then we've got, um, Oh, 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 we gotta, we gotta talk USC some more. So can you break me down? let break down this whole thing going on with, uh, this lawsuit and uh, Clancy Pendergast and everything. Just give me, give me the, give me the nuts and bolts, yeah. Ryan. Give me the facts. So, like a week ago, the LA Times reported as a former USC defensive analyst who was around in 2016, uh, Rick Courtright. Um, so he filed a two million dollar lawsuit against USC, saying he was a whistleblower for a couple things, and then they just ignored him, and then uh, he was let go, and all this stuff. And we had heard. Uh, you know, he thought he was going to be when they added the tenth assistant uh, two years back. I guess it was he thought it was going to be him, and and they ended up promoting uh, Kerry Colbert instead, the former USC wide receiver. Um, from what we were told, he's like he was Clancy Pendergast's guy, and wasn't the most popular, uh, you know, analyst on the on the staff. And the analysts are not like full time assistant coaches, but they're there helping out and all that other crap. But so he said that um, Clancy Pendergast, the defensive coordinator, paid two students to take online classes for two of his graduate assistants. And so the graduate assistants can actually coach, um, but they have to be working on a master's degree, a, you know, advanced degree uh, to be doing that. So you can't just say, I'm going to be a GA, a graduate assistant, and not be going to school. So what uh, Rick Courtright is claiming is that Pendergast paid some students to um, take some online classes for these graduate assistants, which would essentially be, if that's true, academic fraud. Um, just like a student athlete, if you're not taking, if you, someone else is taking your test, your classes, that's academic fraud, you would be ineligible. It's the same sort of thing with GAs from what I, my understanding is that you can't do that. So these guys are actually coaching the players if they're not working towards a graduate degree, the NCAA would look uh, not kindly upon that. There was also some things where a couple dudes were. Can, can we just can we just take a step back for a second sure. and just remark on how mind-blowingly stupid this entire system is? Yeah. <laughs> 
You just said the words, they can't be coaching unless they're in a graduate program. Why? Like, what Like what possible reason is there for that? Like, what? Like, this doesn't make any sense. It's such a dumb system. Meanwhile, Alabama's, like, paying, like, 50 guys to, like, watch recruiting film. Yeah. What is what is this insane sport? I love it. it. it I love the whole it's thing. Cra- and I didn't know, like, is that really? The other thing was something, like, I think it was before USC-Washington State game in, like, 2016. Like, a couple guys were goofing around on the field beforehand. They didn't have their helmets on. And I think they knocked heads and both got concussions. And it was something about a whistle blowing about that that they didn't do anything about, which I don't know if there's any. It doesn't seem like that would be, like, a violation. That's just stupidity. But... You know, if you're going to let guys go out there and goof around. But this was the one, the the one, the online class thing from what I, the people I talked to, they're like, yeah, that's the thing that could be a potential bigger deal with the NCAA. Uh, when you first read it, you're like, well, who cares? But from what I was told, it's really like academic fraud, just like it would be with a player. So, yeah, just another kind of weird uh, sort of rule. And they've changed. There used to be more graduate assistants and they cut it back to like two and now they bumped it up to four. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, if you want to be a graduate assistant, I would assume just take graduate classes. Like, I, if you're trying to get a, it's like you're trying to get a free coach in there. Like, yeah, I'll be a graduate assistant, but man, I don't want to go to school. Like, <laughs> then don't be a graduate. So I don't know. It doesn't make much sense to me. Well, that doesn't make much sense. The whole format, like, why are there graduate assistants ever anyway? It, it, none of it makes sense. None of it. Yeah. Makes a damn bit of sense, um, but yeah, whatever. Here's hoping that lawsuit comes out and there's a lot of fun discovery. Yeah, it, from the people I talked to at USC, didn't seem like it was that big of a deal, but it's just one of those things that's piled on to, you know, it's it's another it's another turd on a huge pile of crap. You know, so it's like oh, and barely noticeable <laughs> and barely noticeable because of it. Um, uh, Washington, uh, they uh, they're. Adidas deal finally went into effect. Um, that was that $120 million contract they signed last April. Uh, 10-year deal after 20 years with Nike and uh, going uh, a clean $6.5 million more million per year. And we'll be getting a look at their new football unis on July 10th. Yeah. The, Is that right? The, the report I saw that from where they said Nike was paying $3.5 million a year. I don't know if that was just... Um, if that was the cash they were getting or if that including the uh, product because Adidas, I think they're Washington's still getting like three and a half million in cash, but they're also getting six million in product and there's like a million and something else. But um, so I'm not sure. I think the 3.5 million for Nike was like everything included. So now they're going to get like a crap load more product and, and, you know, a bunch of cash. So this is a good deal for for Washington. They they're they're a three stripe school now. Big team three stripe. Yeah, we see a uh, lot of that on the 7 on 7 circuit like the three stripe stuff. Yeah, they're really trying to build that brand loyalty um early on. It's uh an interesting choice and decision especially with all the yeah. so have you noticed this has it gotten even seedier on the seven on seven circuit cuz it was getting like not great by the time I left um but it wasn't quite at AAU basketball levels. How has it been the last couple of years? I think it's been somewhat steady. Um, there have been some programs that were bigger that have dropped out, um, you know, ones that you've seen more of or less of. But I haven't really noticed. I, I don't think that you'd see, like, programs kind of going away if it was really 
it's, it's as lucrative as like the AAU basketball stuff is, but yeah. Yeah. It, but you know, yeah. it's not, I don't think it's great, but it, it's still from what I know about the basketball side, it just doesn't seem to even be close to that. No, probably not. Nothing, nothing gets quite as disgusting as uh, high school basketball <laughs> recruiting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it has anything to do with too, with like less people playing football also. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. I, um, I, I've always gone back to it being harder to identify talent early on in football. Yeah. Um, basketball, like the big time eighth graders tend to be big time guys when they're like 12th grade and, you know, it's just the demands of the sport are different. Um, football, I think it's just harder to identify and there's a larger pool. And so you just can't get your claws into the kids as early on. Yeah. That's my, my sense of it anyway. Yeah. Like it's hard. Like Zion Williamson was a huge deal. Like when he was like in seventh grade, right? Like people knew who, yeah. Who like LeBron, was. everyone knew who LeBron was when he was in seventh grade. Yeah. Um, even, even like, um, Kevin Love, when he was like a fat, you know, <laughs> six, six, eighth grader, everyone was like, oh wow, he's going to be really good. Cause his skill level was so good. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a little bit easier in hoops um to project, I think, because it's it's not based as much on um you know, football there's a lot of positions that are very, very, very um skill and acumen and reps based. Like if you're gonna be a quarterback, you've gotta start playing quarterback early and you've gotta get all those mental reps in and all that kind of stuff, and it's just not kind of the same, and and maybe it's also you don't play real football until high school. Like you're mostly playing like tag and all that kind of stuff. Um, but basketball, you can play pretty much a full game by the time you're like seven, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I mean, and playing on regulation hoops by at worst ten or eleven, probably. So it was funny. Anyway. I was talking to uh, I did an event, and Matt Barkley was there, and I was kind of moderating. So the former USC quarterback and. You know, he talked about that, like, I, you know, one of his coaches, I forget what it was. It was in, I think it was like in middle school where, you know, they were having him play some other position and he, you know, really wanted to play quarterback. But you have a guy like that. He's in the NFL. I mean, he's not like the greatest quarterback or anything, but he's he's making money as an NFL quarterback. And some coach at some point had to like decide to switch him from wherever he was playing to to quarterback where like. It, you know, you might lose a guy that like he could have been a quarterback, but you made him play like, you know, tackle, or <laughs> yeah. you know, and it, that doesn't happen in basketball. It doesn't matter. Like you're going to, you're going to, you're on the court. You're like, Oh yeah, he could play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a little bit more dictated by body type where you're actually going to end up playing, but um, your skill set and your athleticism. I mean, those are, maybe it's just because it's also like everyone is, uh, basketball purists will hate me for this, but everyone is kind of, you're all playing the same game, right? A wide receiver isn't playing the same game as an offensive tackle. They're playing two entirely different right. games in the same thing. Even a center in basketball is playing much the same game as a point guard. He's just playing it in a different part of the court, but he still has to dribble. He still has to shoot. He still has to block shots. Like he still has to do all the same stuff. It's just at a different part of the court. Yeah. Um. So it's easier to identify those, those, <clears throat> those single skills, I think. Um, earlier on yeah like if, if some guy in basketball was was 510 and he was good and he had a growth spurt and he became six eight like it's 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 fine you know <laughs> you're, you're still gonna be <laughs> yeah and there's gonna be where there's gonna be rare occasions where like a guy who was like a really lithe you know six six small forward type turned into you know when he was a ninth grader turned into a stockier power forward by a junior which you know maybe diminished his potential a little bit right because he, you know, 
at the six six level, he was able to guard, you know, three or four positions, was flying all over the court. Then he got a little bit slower, got a little bit bigger. Now he's, you know, pretty good at one position, but he's lost a little bit of that upside. That happens, but by and large, you know, you can you can project the inch that a guy's gonna grow or two inches that he's gonna grow and and make your extrapolations from there. But the skill level and, and base athleticism, um, you know, if you're looking at the bi- right body types, they should remain. Yeah. And even like, you know, we talked about this with the NFL draft. I think like, the, you know, five or five of the top six offensive linemen were drafted were like 250 pounds in high school. So yeah, it's, you know, even from the recruiting process, like you're not going to know these guys are going to be great pros until well into their college years a lot of times. And that's, that's just not the case in, in basketball. So it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely different. Yep. Did you, uh, did you do Jay's question I put in here from last time or I, 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 I didn't have time to read it and think about it. So I didn't, so we can do it now. Okay. Um, so I, I put this in here. Uh, Jay wrote in, I forget where he emailed me, I think directly, but he said, uh, after revealing your all pack 12 team, which we did this a few weeks ago, uh, did it make you rethink where you were going to place teams in your preseason rankings because certain teams had more or less on the list than you originally thought? Best from Jay. And I, I'd put a little note in here for you just in case you read it. Um, as someone that forgot he actually attended USC versus Utah and then last year <laughs> and forgot that he was at the Rose Bowl where Washington got beat by Ohio State. Uh, just a couple months later, I certainly didn't remember anything from one of those lists to the other and said, well, I should, <laughs> I should have changed that. No, this is all just kind of top of the head thought just for me personally, David, you might've thought about like, Oh yeah, Washington state secondary is a little deeper than I thought. Maybe I want to put them a little higher, but I, I did not. The only, the only thing it made me think was that this Oregon football season is even more on Mario Cristobal. Um, and his coaching acumen, the coaching acumen of his uh, assistants, because they return, according to our thing, um, one, two, three, four offensive linemen who are now being named to our whatever you want to call this, all POC team. Yeah. Um, you return those offensive linemen, you return a stud tight end. I'm expecting that offense to be great. And that's not even counting the fact that they return friggin' Justin Herbert. Right. Um, they should be great on offense this year. If they're not, if they're running kind of the same incremental, I don't know, whatever that was last year, which was fine. It's good. They should be like a top 10 unit this year. Um, so I'm interested to see what that looks like. But um, as for the rest of it, no, um, I it didn't make me rethink much. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that one, uh, Jay. And we got... You know, I think I mean, maybe you just mystified all of the the, the listeners last week. Um, I think I blew them away. I think they were like, "Wow, I have no more questions." Yeah, all my questions have been answered. Uh, Dave Woods took it away. <laughs> we still we have a few, but not as many as we normally do uh, through the week. So um, I don't think I answered this question by Matthew. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh really? Okay. Do you want to? Did I? Um, we. I, I thought remember. you answered something similar. I don't remember if it was this one. I don't think he. I, I don't think I remember reading the 1997 Ford Escort piece, so I don't think I read it. Okay. Um, well, then, do you want to start with that? Oh, man, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Did we do it? Well, I, it wasn't me since I wasn't there. 
Yeah, but you claim to have listened to I it. I thought, yeah, unless there was another... Um, st- no, you're right. 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 And when you're right, you're right. <laughs> All right. We're going to go on to Brent. Okay. Uh, this is Brent. Um, values produce culture, and culture produces results. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, that's a quote, Peter Brenchley, Jaws. Uh, the problems at USC are systemic and all relate back to a lack of moral values on the part of leadership. The culture will only change when the cast of characters change. So this is uh, the thing about the USC assistant um, suing um, USC. Right. Um, this. So first, I think we're putting it a little bit strong here, Brent. Just saying. Lack of moral values. Um, I, I, you know, I do think there are systemic issues. Um, I think there's uh, first generalized systemic issues with college athletics and you know college education more broadly. Um, private schools have their own issues, um, and I think this is you know part and parcel of all of that. But I wouldn't say it's necessary. I, I think um, pointing the finger at simple leadership is pointing the finger too specifically. Um, I think that's par- definitely part of it. But um, you're you're missing you're missing the forest. I think um, there are some systemic issues with the the system, not necessarily a single person at the top of it. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. But I mean, Brett, I mean, there's some good points there as far as USC has hired people that weren't experienced as athletic directors. That just because they were former football players, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but they've done that three hires in a row, uh, you know, if you brought in in the middle or one of those guys was an experienced athletic director, maybe you put different people in place. Pat Hayden, a lot of people thought could be a really good athletic director. He's very charismatic. He was around the football team a lot, but you know, he allowed that Donna Heinel person to come in and control all of admissions for walk-ons, all athletes, everyone had to go through her. Now, not necessarily a problem, but there's no checks and balances there. And if you get a rogue athletic director, which according to the FBI, that's what Donna Heinel was, she could control all that and, and then manipulate the system and make money off of it. And she did. So I'm just, you know, yes, if you would have changed some of the leadership, then maybe it sort of trickles down and you get better people below them or people in the right positions or the right checks and balances. And some of this other stuff uh, doesn't happen. Um, I wouldn't say it's like the only thing. Uh, I wouldn't say it's, I, I wouldn't say lack of moral values, but I would say a lot of, I mean, it was a lack of maybe foresight into these are the reasons you hire. If you want to, you know, if you're, you're, you're student, you have a kid that's a student that needs help in math and you hire like a history tutor, maybe he's pretty smart. He can help you in math, but I'd rather get the math tutor, you know, and they, they've hired history tutors to run, you know, the athletic department. They've just done this crazy job. And it doesn't always work out terribly, but you do that over decades, and I think it can become a big problem. I wouldn't say it was moral problem, but um, you know, maybe just their thought process. There was an arrogance there, some narcissism. There's all kinds of stuff going on where oh, we can we we're fine. We can hire a football player, and we'll get the people around him that they'll they'll do the other work that the athletic director would normally do. We want that figurehead to be out there raising money and things like that. I mean, that could be arrogance. I don't know if it's a lack of morals, though. 
Yeah, I mean it's a it's a ethical issue, you know, external 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 moral rules placed upon you, but not necessarily a violation of your own internal mechanisms. Maybe it is relatively moral to allow, you know, a graduate assistant to have somebody else do some work for them so they can get some experience coaching football. Who cares? Um the larger point that I would make is um you take out Donna Heinel, well, who's the, the the systemic issue is the one that allowed this thing to happen. Like the 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 sheer lack of oversight or whatever. Um, you know, it, it put somebody else in that place. I mean, it's basically you're 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 gauging whether or not that person is going to have uh, ethical dilemmas with uh, lining their own pockets or whatever it is. Um, and uh, if you don't have systemic oversight, if you have a corrupt system, then you're going to have continually corrupt people. Um, because people are people, people are human. And, um, yeah, you can't just guarantee you're going to hire, you know, a bunch of, uh, Dudley do rights. So it will be interesting to see if anything changes as they change their leadership. Yep. Um, okay. So, Who's next? Uh, Who's this next? is Armageddon and star Wars. Uh, all right. From Paul. So, uh, two movies I've seen, so that's good. Sometimes I don't, and I, I think I remember these. I don't remember a lot of movies, but I remember these. Armageddon with Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, and Bruce Willis is a glorious work of art. I, don't, I mean, no lies there, no lies there. Yeah, but there's a Not lot a of plot holes uh, in that. I, really, really. Okay, so so here we we gotta we gotta dis, we gotta distinguish our terms here. Really gloriously dumb movie, yes, yes. no question. Glorious work of art as well, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with phenomenal. you. Phenomenal. There's some good stuff, you know. Uh, it, well, when something can be both phenomenal and phenomenally dumb, I think that that's that's it's just great stuff. Yeah. So yes, I mean Bruce Willis having all these patents that the government like stole for building their drill, and uh, <laughs> Affleck getting all um, he getting a little too antsy on the drill and drilled too far and gets fired, and like a, a day later he's on some prairie somewhere with like a, a you know hand you know powered oil well that he's working on i mean it's just like some of the weird stuff that goes on is it, it's pretty crazy in that movie but it you know it worked for me i liked it um the best part so have you ever seen the the clip of um ben affleck's commentary like the behind the scenes from the from the like dvd whatever the like criterion collection version of this movie um he's talking about how stupid the whole concept was like why <laughs> Why would you train oil drillers to be astronauts when you could just train <laughs> astronauts to be oil drillers? Like, what? Which of these is the more replaceable skill? Right? Is it? It's just like it's so good. Well, that's what the government was. The government was trying to do that, but then, and Bruce Willis said, "Like, let me guess, you're you're stripping a lot of the coupling, or something. there was some weird whatever term he was saying because he you had the." The modulator upside down, or so like when they were looking at his design. As if NASA couldn't figure out how to not strip a screw. It's incredible. I love it. I love the movie. It's so dumb, so beautiful. Love every minute. And All right, let's get on. The this. audio was very good, too. So if you had like a good sound system in your house, that was a good movie to play. Yeah. He said, however, oh, yeah. all Stanford nerds, uh, he said, I'm a lesser Utah nerd, will know that the idea of sending a non-astronaut manned mission to wily coyotes slingshot themselves around the moon in order to catch up to an asteroid hurling through space and then drill a 600 foot 597 won't cut it so that one singular nuke can split the rock down the middle with the two major halves missing earth completely and irrelevant debris burning up in the atmosphere is 
extremely realistic. In response to Dave's <laughs> Star Wars pick, uh, I would like you to play the audio of the first, teen, first 16 seconds of the small Armageddon clip, if you have the ability, enjoy. It's, and he says, quote, Chewy, have you seen Star Wars? Um, Dave is a Russian cosmonaut, uh, Lev and drop off because who knows, has about as much logic as Stanford, the Wookiee, uh, Ryan, good to have you back. So I will, um, I can't play it right now since we're re- recording, but I will download this and play it right now and then they can listen to it. Have you listened to this one, Dave? No, I haven't either. So we'll, we'll, uh, I'll play it on the episode. You guys will be listening to it. So it'll be fine. You had to say, who would you say? I, I don't know, Oscar. Who do you think you're on? Han Solo. No. If anybody's anybody, I'm Han. And you're, you're Chewbacca. Chewie, have you even seen Star Wars? You know what? I thought my Star Wars picks were great. They were I good. They were fantastic. Really good. I, thought Stanford's, I thought Stanford's was dead on, right? Chewbacca. Yeah. You know? They're just kind of, the, they're there. They're tough. You know, yeah. you know what you're going to get. Like, there's no, there's Big, no question. hairy, strong. Yeah, They're not going to oh, go yeah. off the rails and do something dumb. You know, like you just, you just know what you're getting out of Stanford. You know, and, it, and they're yeah, tough likes guy. to go sailing, enjoys playing chess, enjoys tailgating with a red and white checkerboard uh, tablecloth. That's Stanford. That's Chewy. Yeah, that's that's what we're talking about. And uh, don't don't beat them or they'll rip your arms off. You know, exactly right. All right, this is from SLTDMD. Questions. Uh, Dave, you said in your solo podcast you have a day job. If you don't mind my asking, what is your day job? Uh, I don't mind you asking. I do marketing. It is soul <laughs> All right, Ryan. Uh, many years ago, when OJ Mayo was playing at SC, I made a comment on the SC message board and replied to a post about him allegedly getting the impermissible benefit of a flat panel TV for his apartment. I didn't even make the original post. I just replied to a comment from an SC poster. I was immediately banned from your message boards and have been banned ever since, probably over 10 years. You can ask Dave about the many messages SLT DMD has made on the bro boards, and I'm sure he can vouch for me as being an even-minded, polite, and respectful poster. I will do no such thing, uh, (laughs) since you are the publisher of the SC247 site, and a publisher is kind of like a governor of a state. Do you think you could offer clemency for my banning? So, first... A publisher is not like a governor of a state. It is like an absolute monarch of like a 1600s country. <laughs> just so you know. Um, which was unfair in the first place. And reinstate me so that I can read your message boards and see what the Trojan folk are posting. I promise to be on my best behavior, not be respectful to any Trojan fans, and be polite at all times. I talked to Judge Judy about it, and she said if I throw myself on the mercy of the court, you may have pity on me. P.S. My bro's screen name is SLTDMD, which he has now stated several times. Please see what you can do. Thanks. Um, yeah. So that was that was a plea. That was uh, that was nice. SLTDMD. If you email me, just email Ryan at uscfootball.com. Say, hey, I'm banned, and I will unban you. Like it's pretty simple. Um, this seems a complicated way to accomplish that. But I would, when you were banned ten years ago, I wasn't part of. 24 seven. Um, so I don't think it would be me or my moderators that originally banned you because since then, when, since the time you were banned, I, I was at, I was at rivals at the time. Um, the site moved to scout and then was scout was purchased by 24 seven. So 
I now run the 24-7 site, but I didn't 10 years ago. And that's where you would have been banned. I w- your ban wouldn't have carried over from when I was at Rivals. Like, that wouldn't have been the case. So, uh, I did not ban you, but I have no problem unbanning you. Just email me, and I will do that. Beautiful. Yeah. And, yes, I'm a monarch. Just like, you know. they Like an absolute <laughs> monarch. Like Louis Fourteenth here. <laughs> Is Tracy more of a monarch than me? I mean, I think you guys both are, right? Nobody's voting on you getting that. True, yeah. You, you, yeah, whatever. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a small petty fiefdom, but it's a fiefdom. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, email from Shane, non-conference rivalry. Uh, pick a non-conference foe for each school that you think would make a great rivalry if they played every year. Feel, feel free to pick rivalry names as well if you like a current non-conference. Uh, rival like Notre Dame and USC, feel free to pick it. Hmm. Okay. You know, here's, I got a good one for Washington. They should play Ohio State. I don't think they've played them for a long time. So I think that would be a great rivalry. <laughs> I agree. I think that would be a fun rivalry. <laughs> but Hopefully for real, we could get that, to see that in our lifetimes. That could be a good one, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. but they, they did play in the Rose Bowl, and I, I was at the game I, I, and forgot. <laughs> I would I would I would pay real money for a Washington State Texas Tech home and home in perpetuity. Yeah. And that would be the Leech Bowl or what would that be? Like what would whatever you want to call it. I just want to see him having to go to Texas Tech every other yeah. year. I think that'd be a lot of the, fun. The uh the James Craig Bowl, could that be like, you know, or something something about like concussions and a and being held in a closet. I don't know. Something like that. That would be awesome. But that that's a perfect one. Oregon, Florida State. Willie Taggart. Yeah. I think if you want to go recent, I think that's good. Just all the way across the country, I think that's good. Um, Oregon State Rutgers. Oregon State Rutgers. Or I like the one they're playing this year. Oregon State, Oklahoma State. Like that. Oh, the battle for the OSU. Yeah. The battle for the title. That could be cool. The battle the battle for who will be the other OSU yeah. after Ohio State. <laughs> yes. On, on the I same like lines, it. you could do USC versus USC, Southern California versus South Carolina, and the winner gets to be called USC that year, and the loser can't be. I like that. I like that. Um, who else in the north? Huge. Stanford Cal. Where are they? Who are they going to I mean, I still want to see. I mean, the thing is, it's not as fun anymore because Stanford isn't as good. But still, the Stanford Bama thing was always going to be fun and interesting. Um, but Stanford versus some SEC school, like Vanderbilt, like just, maybe. No, because they'd crush them. No, it has to be something like Stanford versus like the dumbest uh, <laughs> SEC school, like Stanford versus Mississippi. Mississippi. I want to see that. I want to see that forever. Um, I, there's I, Mississippi like might even be too too good of a school, like Georgia. How about Georgia? They're my they're my hometown. Let's go Stanford, Georgia. I want that forever. I sort of want the, to see Mississippi just because of the Grove and like, yeah. There's kind of that beauty of like the Stanford campus, and I think you'd get there. That'll be UCLA. That'll be UCLA. So you've got two of the best uh, tailgating venues in the country. Let's settle it once and for all. Ole Miss, the Grove, or Rose Bowl on uh, the golf course. All right, we we can do that. All right. Um, All right, then Cal. Who should Cal play forever? So who's like the most conservative school? Like what's maybe Texas A&M? Liberty? Or Liberty. (laughs) That's not going to be. 
I think A and M is more like there's a lot of like you know. Yeah, yeah. Cal A and M would be a lot of okay. fun. Um, um, the righteousness Utah? Bowl or something. Or, or, Utah already um, um, does the BYU thing, so we're not going to do that. They could be BYU. I I sort of like the Michigan game, like maybe Utah Michigan or something. That was kind of cool, and they play kind of a similar brand of football. Uh, at least Will Harbaugh's still there. So yeah, let's go. Let's go, Michigan, Colorado. I like what they're doing right now with Nebraska. Yeah, because um, if they wanted to reinstitute a a Texas game, I'd take that too. Yeah, I think one of the one of the both of them would be great. But you could do Missouri. Um, just they they scheduled that one, but just for the the historical, you know, that'd be the fifth down series or whatever. Right. Um, what else? ASU, Arizona. ASU, who did they play? Like, I think I want to do Florida because Florida like never leaves the region. Yeah, so force them to get out of there. Yeah. Um, Arizona Duke. I think that's what we went with for the like matchup version of this. But Arizona Duke, yeah, just because you got the basketball sort of thing. Or Arizona Kentucky, whichever. Arizona Kentucky, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be the uh, the battle of the the hardwood. I love it. Shane, good good stuff there. Hopefully we I think we delivered some good answers. Hopefully we made you guys think. Maybe. Maybe. I think it's yeah, and, whatever. Yeah, send us some if you have some other ideas, send them in. Yep. All right, this is from our man Hifliday. Yeah. Our good friend. Uh the multitudinous seas. Uh do you know what multitudinous means, right? No. Would you like to know? Sure. All right. It means a lot. Basically. There's a lot of them. A lot of C's? Uh, yep. The many C's, basically. Uh, now, see, they both start with an M. So this is my thing with big words, right? Um, if they both start with the same letters and uh, one is shorter than the other and they mean exactly the same thing, just go with the just go with that yeah. one. The many C's. It's fine. You're using the 25-cent word for the sake of using a 25-cent word. And I appreciate it. I, I, Hithliday broadens our horizons every day with these subject lines. I'm just saying. You know, at least use one of the different starting letter. Um, I recently had an interesting conversation with Jack Blanchett of the Stanford site Rule of Tree. I argued that while it's true that Harbaugh had gotten the admissions hurdles significantly lowered and the draw of the school made up for the rest, Stanford's ongoing inability to access the JUCO market and its challenges picking hard luck cases out of the transfer portal are creating new problems in roster management for the Cardinal. Jack's response was that as tough as the paperwork issues are in getting a guy out of the portal to pass muster, they've exas- they're exasper- exacerbated in prep recruiting by the new early signing period. That in the past, they'd been able to say to a recruit midway through the senior year, get your SAT up to this number, retake this class to boost your GPA to this, and we'll get you in come spring. But now the kid has already signed his early December letter to some other school before they can even have that conversation. What do you make of this explanation? Did Stanford get the wrong end of the stick on every recent change to the recruiting landscape? And what do you think of their roster management going forward? Do the academically prestigious schools to which you boys were for some reason admitted face anything <laughs> similar? <laughs> Thank you, Hithliday. Um I got in through affirmative uh, action. No. Um, <laughs> I was just old. It wasn't as hard to get into school back then, so. It was hard when I got in, but it's not as hard as it is now. Um, so, yeah, no, I just got lucky. Um, what do I make of this explanation? Um, I, I I would buy that this is all a lot harder for Stanford. Um, I, 
I know that there's a, a theory of Stanford recruiting that um, they can't take anybody and it's everybody with like exact, like high super things. And like, no, I mean, they can get in some guys, probably not as they can't go as low as a lot of other schools, but a lot of times what they use after um, December is a way to winnow down their, their pool. If they've, you know, maybe tentatively offered guys up to that point, And then it turns out that they didn't have a great senior year that will often, drop that line in January. Oh, sorry. Your numbers just weren't good enough. They couldn't pass admissions. Um, and you know, I think some of that is true and some of it is a convenient excuse, but I don't think the whole timeline moving up helps them because their process does take a little bit longer. Um, and is a little bit more rigorous, especially if you aren't one of their like, you know, top 10 targets. Um, so yeah, I'll buy that it hurt it. Um, I haven't noticed anything really similar with UCLA, but it's kind of getting lost in the noise of Chip Kelly just being so horrendous at recruiting. Um, have you noticed anything similar at USC? I would, I mean, somewhat similar. I would say. Also, I, 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 I you should applaud me for holding it together when Hithliday referred to USC as academically prestigious. <laughs> but I did. You did. I know I couldn't get in today. Like it's ridiculous what how hard it is to get into schools and everything now. But I would say for Stanford, this would make sense to me. I think the early signing period, uh, some schools can adapt pretty easily, and I think other schools either because of the structure of what they're working with, and like a Stanford is usually different than most other schools, is a little bit harder to adapt to, or even just the style of recruiting that the coaching staff in that program would use. Um, we've seen over the years, like a, a Mac Brown at Texas would have his recruiting class, like wrapped up before the uh, season would even start, you know? Um, and we've seen other places and USC's done this. We've seen Florida state doing this where they're not ranked all that high until signing day. And they add like four or five, you know, five or six, four and five star guys at the very end. And then they go up into a top five class and you move on from there. I think those schools have had to make adjustments because it's hard to do that now. And sometimes they were waiting on evaluations or they were waiting because it was an out of state guy and they would lie in the weeds and not, you know, and, and know that, you know, they were recruiting them behind the scenes, but they weren't making a lot of public statements about it. The kid wasn't tweeting out like, Hey, I'm, visiting USC or Florida state or whatever. And they would kind of do their work at the end and be able to get these guys late. I don't think you can do that. I don't think USC was very fast to adjust to that. We've seen some SEC schools just completely shift gears instantly. And maybe it's those 50 guys they got watching film. One of them said, Hey, uh, that early signing period is not going to be like an extra signing period. It's going to be the signing period. So sign all your guys in December. Um, and they did that right away. And, uh, I think, some schools were slow to do that. But I think for USC, it was more of their own doing than if it's true with what, uh, you know, the rule of tree is saying about Stanford and you're looking at different players that, you know, you typically you would say, hey, like, like you know, get your SATs up and we'll, we'll be able to get you in come the spring. If that's not going to work anymore, then you either have to say, okay, well, we'll accept this commitment not knowing if this kid's going to be to have the right GPA or, um, you know, have his, you know, his test scores high enough. Um, maybe it's more of a reach there. And then you kind of lose on some guys that you signed, but then they couldn't really get into school or you have to just let them into school. 
Um, so I don't know. It, it, it seems to be more of an adjustment on if they're going to have to change their system up a little bit. Um, but I would buy that, Dave, about Stanford. I don't know if other schools would have the same sort of thing. More of, you know, I think it would be more of a Stanford thing than anywhere else. But that, you know, that just reading that, it made sense to me. I'm like, I could see that. Well, actually, now that we're talking it through, it, it makes even less sense to me. It makes like less and less as we're talking about it. It's still Stanford. The guys who are going to wait for Stanford and wait to hear if they're getting admitted in January, I mean, there's no difference for them. Uh, no, I think any any reduction in Stanford's recruiting is probably due to for Stanford's performance on the field. Okay, um, but if they continue to play well, I would expect them to still have periodic classes where they've got like nearly a top ten class because it's Stanford. I mean, it's still the academics. It's not like somebody's some recruit's mom is like, well, oh well, you wanted to get this done in December, so uh, yeah, we're gonna rule Stanford out. No, that's not happening. Okay, no, I mean, I, I could buy that, but I, I'm there's got to be some kids though that. If there's pressure to sign early and Stanford's not ready to say that they're admitted and it's, you know, it's Arizona or whoever, they're like, hey, you know. So you're going to go to Arizona over Stanford? Probably not Arizona. Like you're going to pick, say you're going to pick Arizona over the UCLA. opportunity to go to Stanford. And more to the point, your parents are going to pick that. And frankly, UCLA too. Like, no, that's not happening. And it's maybe it's somewhat perception or whatever, but I'm, people are waiting for Stanford. I mean, unless you're like so big time that Stanford wasn't, you know, in the top tier for you anyway. But no, I'm, I'm so from here on on the podcast, I will be arguing both sides of an issue. Every single question, I will argue both sides of it and uh, we'll come to a conclusion. Yeah. I think together from what as a team, from what they said, it made sense. But your your point makes sense, too, that it does carry a little bit different weight there. And, you know, you might maybe it's a decision in the spring, but. Would it ever be a decision to sign now or wait to potentially get into Stanford? Like that's that's what they're saying. Maybe it doesn't happen very often. Maybe it just happens a few times. But you know, I, I don't think it would be significant enough that you would lose a lot of guys. No, no. Yeah. But I could see I some. You so. could lose a couple guys that way, but maybe not to this level. Like I, I, the way you say it, that makes sense. Like they pro- probably shouldn't change the entire recruiting landscape for them. No, probably not. Um, all right, we got one from John. He says, "Hi Ryan and Dave, can you please match a dis- <laughs> crap, match a Disney princess to the cereal you think she would eat, and then take that pair and match it up to the appropriate offensive defensive coordinator for each of the Pac-12 schools. For instance, Elsa plus plus Frosted Flakes equals Bo Baldwin. Kidding, uh, but I do enjoy the crazy off-topic bits. On a more serious note, what are your top three doomsday scenarios for Pac-12 football in 2019, and what are your top three?" Everything went right. Let's toast Champagne Larry. Um, the truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? Like, <laughs> this conference is amazing. Sunshine pumping scenarios for the 2019 season. My scenarios are listed below for reference. Thanks for all you do, John and Brea. Okay, so his doomsday scenarios. Uh, Oregon gets blown out by Auburn. That's That would be my number one for sure. Um, Pac-12 teams go one and nine versus non-conference power five opponents. Uh, I haven't really thought about that, but yeah, that would be a disaster. Uh, Pac-12 can't fill all the bowl spots. What do you, what do you think about these, Dave? Um, yeah, I mean, one and two are kind of in the same category, so it feels like a little bit of cheating. Um, but definitely Oregon getting blown out by Auburn, uh, Clay Helton going eight and four, um, 
I, I think that would be actually very bad for the league overall, USC. I mean, if I'm taking off my U- UCLA hat, USC getting good again would probably be best for the league. Um, and that's not going to happen with Clay Helton there. And if he's just perpetually eight and four for a while here, I don't, it, that would be in that kind of tough spot. Um, I don't know if not, filling all the bull spots feels like such a wonky thing that I don't, I, I don't think like the casual person's paying attention to that or that it matters all that much in the long run. Um, Oregon getting blown out by Auburn and Washington finishing again, like 10 and two. Um, Cause you do that. You're more or less out of the playoff. Um, Cause Washington's the class of the league. So Oregon uh, losing to Auburn, Washington once again finishing clearly out of the playoff, and USC maintaining Clay Hilton as the head coach would be my three doomsday things for the league. I think those are good. I would say like the pre the the out of conference deal for me. I always harp on it. I think it's a big deal. The Oregon Auburn game is huge. Like if Oregon State loses to Oklahoma State, it doesn't really matter. Like it, it's fine. You know they lost to Ohio State the other year. Like whatever, that's fine. But this one, just like Washington last year losing, um, I thought that was a big deal. I think Oregon, just even losing by a point to Auburn is a big deal because that sort of sets the entire conference back. And, you know, that's the one big one, you know, cross conferences that you could look at. And it sort of delegitimizes the entire Pac-12. Uh, on the Washington side, I would even go as far as say as like, say Washington, so Oregon loses to Auburn. And Washington wins every game except Oregon, and they're eleven and one. And then they like beat Utah or something in the championship game, and they're twelve and one and get left out of the playoff um, because they lost to an Oregon team that lost to Auburn that finished like fourth in the in the SEC. Um, I think that's a pretty bad scenario. Like not having if Washington is the class of the conference, like we think they will be and they don't make the playoff because of some dumb loss or something, uh, I think that's really a doomsday thing. You can't miss the playoff again. And it's it's not, I mean, there's like four legitimate, like really good playoff contenders, at least in the SEC. And that's not counting like Clemson and Ohio State and, you know, these other, you know, Texas is going to be pretty good. Like you need to be able to get into the playoff and beat a good team somehow. Um, so, I, yeah, I think those are all good scenarios. Uh, but it starts for me with Oregon Auburn. I think that's right. And then, but the Washington missing the playoff, I think, is a close second. Yep. Sunshine pumping. Uh, Washington goes 13 0, makes the playoff. Yeah. I think that's uh, fair. Justin Herbert wins the Heisman, and Oregon goes 11 and 1. And then three teams make New Year's six bowl games. Those are all pretty good. Yeah, I think those are right. Um, um, Washington going 13-0 and making the playoff again, I think, is one of the number one things that could happen. USC going 2-10 and and firing Clay Helton is another one. Um, Oregon going 11-1 would be one. UCLA looking really good under Chip Kelly, yeah. going like 9-3 and would probably be a good thing for the league as a whole. Um, Khalil Tate, yeah, like, having a huge season. Actually looking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really cool. <laughs> uh, that that might have been most of the like positive pub that like the Pac-12 has generally gotten in like years was that month where Khalil Tate ruled. Um, so yeah, all those would be good. What about like a Herm like Herm Edwards viral moment? Something like amazing or terrible? Like there's uh, something crazy from Herm Edwards. 
Yeah, you know what? We didn't see enough from Herm last season. I want to see more from Herm. Yeah. Anything. You know, him going off on a reporter, whatever. Anything at all. Love it. Yeah, there was a lot of weird preseason stuff where, like, he didn't know what jerseys looked like or something. Like, there was all kinds of weird stuff, but, you know, he seemed to figure it all out. Yep. All right, we got a long one from Shane. Uh Um, Yeah, so a long time ago. David, sir, one week ago in this very galaxy, you stirred a hornet's nest of Disney princesses and cheeseburgers, and although I initially disagreed with, uh, disagreed with some of the choices, I wanted to spend some time diving in on your Pac-12 team Star Wars comparisons because, of course, I did. I'm sure some of these knuckleheads will have pushback on your choices, and as I'm writing this on a Friday, I have no doubt we've already listened to four strongly worded emails on this dumb subject, but here, <laughs> only one, only one. Yeah. That I think speaks to the universality of my opinions. Uh, But here are my expanded Star Wars explanations in the order you initially presented them, further cementing your assertions. Enjoy. USC is Darth Vader, a badass caped sorcerer that effortlessly hurls opponents across the room. But when you take the iconic helmet off, it's just a bald, unrecognizable white guy on life support. (laughs) Uh, UCLA is Obi-Wan Kenobi, a pale blue ghost with a noteworthy history of sacrificing themselves once no, once everybody is watching. <laughs> also, Vader, gloves. Luke, gloves. Kylo Ren, gloves. Who operates a goddamn lightsaber without gloves? <laughs> Obi-Wan. <laughs> Talk about competitive disadvantage. Shane. Stanford is Chewbacca. Yeah, it's so good. Shane, you're so Stanford good. Stanford is... Stanford is Chewbacca, obviously. The only character to beat a droid at a game of Dejaric. Sure, the Pac-12 has 565 national championships or whatever, but like 300 of them are Stanford winning competitions that other schools don't even attempt to compete in. I bet in real life Stanford literally has a championship in futuristic hologram chess, and I bet a droid came in second. Nice work, nerds. Uh, Cal is Han Solo, a character noted for not offensing, always in hiding, trying to avoid getting caught. Casually tosses aside the difference between time and distance at an interstellar scale. Yes, that's a 12 parsecs reference. While drinking in an underground multicultural dive bar and maintaining an effortless 70s hipster style. Also, always broke. (laughs) The most cow thing possible. (laughs) Oregon State is C-3PO. Dude had to be put together with parts from a bunch of other droids to even function. He's cute and tries hard, but but has spent parts of multiple seasons broken in pieces and being carried around by others. Uh, Washington is Luke Skywalker, actually whips ass most of the time, but tends to get a hand chopped off, get thrown down a garbage chute, or find out who their daddy is whenever they face an opponent stronger than them. <laughs> this is brilliant. Washington's, Washington State is Princess Leia, the only character that pursues a kiss with a sibling. Wow. Jeez. Wow. Utah is Ray, spent her whole life foraging in a wasteland without water until she was pulled up into something bigger. Took a couple hits while getting up to speed once the competition level picked up, but I think is going to be a badass for a long time. Also, if you disparage either on Twitter, a whole bunch of dorks will come out of the woodwork to shout you down. (laughs) 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 Arizona and Arizona State are Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. First heard of them like 40 years ago, and in the subsequent time, they've done absolutely nothing of note (laughs) other than becoming burning skeletons in the desert. Seriously, in 41 years, they've combined to win two conference championships. 
Oregon is Kylo Ren, born less than 25 years ago, was scary for like 15 minutes, but took their shiny helmet off, and you realize it was just a whiny little kid who owed all of their money to an old relative. They subsequently melt, they subsequently melt down and fall apart when shit doesn't go their way. Um, owed, all, owed all of their power to an old relative, sorry. And Colorado is Lando. Looks super cool in gold and black, and I'm never quite sure if they're really good or sneaky bad, but those are the only two options. Keep up the work. Your friend and compatriot. Shane. I think we need to add this to the episode. Is that fair? I think it needs to be added to the episode. Absolutely. Like I, on the the blog, we'll we'll put that in. Uh, you know. Oh man, that was good. That was freaking awesome, dude! Like, it's so good. I'm glad I know Star Wars because because I know most of those you know, all those people, but. If you don't get the references, you can just go watch all the movies because it's worth reading that again. Yeah, yeah, just watch watch all of them, and then you'll be able to really understand that email and dive in. My guy Shotgun was tweeting. Oh, let me let me pull this up for you since you're. Uh, so he, I don't think he's watched like the episode one, two, and three or whatever. Um, let me pull up. So he said, "Oh wait, so there was one. There was episode two. I think he was watching." Um. He said, just watch Star Wars. He did this for all uh, all three, but he said episode two, Attack of the Clones for the first time. He says, takeaways. Anakin is a typical, quote, advanced teenager. Thinks he has it all figured out just because he's already, he's ahead of his peers, which is a very bad recipe for, for early marriage. Um, he said, who is, good versus, who is good versus who is bad got confusing for a while, which makes for a convoluted plot. Natalie Portman is a very attractive lady. I now understand the kerfuffle over her. Before this, I've only seen her as a 12-year-old and professional and in V for Vendetta. <laughs> Hayden Christensen was a was thrown a big role. He did okay, but I can see why his career didn't quite take off despite that beautiful side-braided rat tail. Uh, if there's a prophecy and you think that Anakin is, quote, the one, don't you think uh, there would be more attention paid to him from going off uh, with Amidala on his own, and more importantly, going all King Leonidas in 300 on the Tuscan Raiders. Who was that? King Leonidas, right? From 300. Yeah, that's from 300. I, don't, I didn't see it. I mean, from from history. From, yeah, that's true. From, yeah. Well, but, I don't know. Sparta were kind of veering into myth at that point, but I think he was a real guy. Yeah. And he said Ryan Gosling is basically the same age as Hayden Christensen. Just saying. Uh, not saying, just saying. Like, oh, interesting. Um, huh. But I don't know. Thoughts on any of that? Well, I'll be honest. I haven't seen any of the prequels besides Revenge of the Sith in probably as much time as there has been since they came out in the theaters. Yeah. Um, like, I'm almost certain I have I have not seen Attack of the Clones since then. And I, I might have watched Phantom Menace again. I also might not have. But if I did, it was more than 15 years ago. Um, so I'll say this. Uh Attack of the Clones is an abomination. The movie he's talking about, like that was that was one of the worst movies I've ever sat through. Um, Phantom Menace was like marginally better, even though it was viciously disappointing at the time. Um, that was the first one, right? Number, yeah, yeah, yeah. That and that one, like, at least had some interesting concepts. It just kind of lost in the bullshit and the like. Gungans and well, yeah, the cute Darth Vader. Look, he had to like race. Talking about it's going to make me so angry. Um, but Revenge of the Sith, that one was a salvageable movie. Like the the through line of the whole story is super cool. It's like a 
you know, a fall from grace, the whole thing, just done in the most ham-fisted, poorly written way possible. But, like, the concept was so good, so that's almost a almost a salvageable movie. Uh, but the other two are absolute trash. Yeah. Absolutely. For him to kill all the, like, younglings and stuff, like, that just didn't seem to make much sense to me, you know? Well, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, like, it didn't present it as realistic behavior. Like, this, look, he went from, like, I want to save my wife to let me kill all these little kids in like a couple of hours, basically. And it's just like, come on, this doesn't make any sense. And I think we talk Um, about this too. Like they're fighting their lightsaber battle with Obi-Wan and it's like, you know, it's crazy. He's going back and forth, back and forth. Obi-Wan jumps up on a rock and he's like, the the battle's over. I'm, I have the high ground. (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 And Anakin's like, I don't care. And then he jumps up and cuts all his arms and legs off. And then, and then, and then it turned out, it turned out that Obi Wan was right. It was like, and like that's the kind of thing that's just bad writing because you can't win. Well, because the thing is, the thing is that's bad writing, and the reason it's bad writing is because you have to know writing that that it's a ridiculous thing to say unless you set it up. Have them have a sparring session in like episode two or episode three, where it turns out Obi Wan's got like some whatever great strategy for when he's on the high ground and it's like a joking thing between them and whatever do anything to set that up in the actual writing before this ridiculous line comes out of his mouth it is so patently insane that that comes out of his (laughs) mouth and it's just so good i have the high ground and if you try to jump at me despite that you're like a magician uh, if you try to jump at me, I will. I will cut off all of your limbs. You, you, you've jumped out of spaceships and like flown down, like. But some guy standing on a rock is too much to overcome. Oh my god, it's so good. It's and the whole like metachloride thing or whatever those thing, whatever. Oh, the metachlorians. Oh yeah, trying trying to explain your fantastical magical concept with friggin' blood. Yeah, it's so good. I love it. It's. Oh man, George Lucas! What a what a guy! What a guy! Yeah. Um, <sighs> but you're you're a Jar Jar fan, right? You liked him, big yeah. Jar Jar guy. I love I love racist tropes <laughs> in my sci-fi. It's great. Um, good stuff. All right, uh, this w- we are uh, Bernie. Is this me? I think it's me. Um, is yeah, it you? you just, yeah, it is. You just did the big Star Wars one. Um, That's right. From Bernie. Hi guys. Hope you had a great fourth. I did, Bernie. Hopefully you did too. David, did thank, you have a good fourth? Th- th- thank you, Bernie. I did have a good fourth. Yeah. What'd you do? Do you anything fun? I played in a volleyball tournament and uh, drank a bunch of beers, did a seafood boil, you know, done some fun stuff. How about you? We went to the beach. We hung out on the beach. Yeah. It was great. Beach beach yeah. in the, on the fourth was good. Uh, for Dave, after listening to your podcast on Kelly's approach to recruiting, is there anyone in a position such as the athletic director or a donor such as Wasserman that could tell him he needs to increase his efforts? No, I mean, no, not really. I mean, at a certain juncture, that'll start to be the case. But look, once a coach has his athletic director telling him how to do his job, that coach is done. Um, so the hope is that Chip Kelly will um, first prove us all wrong with his strategy right now, and that's certainly still on the table. I am a known idiot, um, and you need to always keep that in mind. Um, second, uh, if he doesn't figure, if he doesn't get it done with his philosophy, that he will adjust on his own to the realities of the situation and start um, figuring out how to recruit 
a little bit better in the 21st century. Um, both of those are completely on the table. Um, and once it gets to the point, though, where the athletic director is having to have meetings with the head coach about like the actual tactical decisions they're making and all that kind of stuff, I mean, that, that tenure is nearly done. Um, that's, that's the athletic director trying to save his own job. Yeah. So, um, no, I don't think that's... Uh, I don't think there's anyone in position to do that at this point. I don't think there's anybody who wants to do that at this point. And I don't think it's necessarily the case that anybody should be doing it at this point. You paid this guy a bunch of money for him to figure this out. So you certainly give him longer than a year and a half to do so. Um, what we're doing here is just pointing out some of the warning signs, some of the things we're seeing that are like, well, this isn't it's certainly not how we've seen it done before and certainly have some very real skepticism about whether this is going to get done the right way or get done in a rapid fashion this way. Um, so take that for what it is. So Darth Vader won't be walking on the UCLA campus to tell Chip Kelly that uh, the Death Star better be ready on time or the emperor is going to be uh, pissed off or anything like that. that and then he says, I'm going to double my yeah, efforts and, so, and really recruit now. Yeah. So in that, in that scenario is I think in that scenario, Chip Kelly is like a combination of Grand Moff Tarkin. No, that's that's Death Star Two. So we're talking like Admiral Piet or whoever that weird admiral was, was with the Piet, mustache. Yeah. That he then, I think it was Piet. That he then gets choked out. <laughs> so, yeah, that doesn't end well for Chip Kelly. I don't think anybody wants that. No, that did. Yeah, I guess he was doubling his efforts, and I don't know if it really helped. Uh, we we will we will double our efforts and then see that you do, Captain. You always want to be that general or admiral that takes over for the the choked out one. You know, like. Like, I'm not going to screw up yeah. like he screwed up. I think our man Piet actually hung on till the end. I think he was still around. Or maybe he died on, and I don't know. But I, I think it was somebody else. It was another faceless, like, admiral guy who, who got choked out. If you if George Lucas could go back, do you think that he would have backed off having, like, the Death Star in the first episode? Because it's sort of like you, you've got, you got nine of these things, and you've already, like, you've, you've introduced a thing that can destroy a planet. And so basically you've like had to introduce it again like three more times because it, it doesn't really get much tougher than that. So in the first movie you've made, you're like, this thing can blow up a planet. We better get rid of it. Um, but since then, they, they keep having them. Yeah, I don't know. Cause I, I, well, I think there's, there's a couple things at play because I think Star Wars, when you really get down to it and you look back at the whole context of everything, I think it's the best of them. Um, Empire is good, but I think Star Wars is the best of them because it not only works as the first movie in the in the initial trilogy, but it also really works as a standalone movie. Yeah. Um, and that's what it was initially intended to be. Um, you know, it was like his play on all those um, comics and whatnot, like 60s television and all that kind of crap. Um, but it, you needed kind of that, like that epic feel to it. And that only comes if you've got something that's like, you know, going to, kill an entire planet so no i don't think you would go back and change it i think in our modern society um you wouldn't like i think they would have like a building story that goes through like six full movies like look at the marvel movies it's not like they're introducing thanos in the like first movie um it's you know they build to that with like this phase structure and it's all very planned out and cookie cutter and while i enjoy those movies um I don't think they hold a candle to original Star Wars right. um, because they weren't holding anything back um, with that initial movie. Yeah, I, I think probably 
episode four, but Empire is pretty awesome. Like it's, you know, and you get the whole Empire's yeah. You get the whole father thing, yeah. the Luke the Luke, you know, Darth Vader father thing. Um Yoda. I mean, there's a lot in that, you know, Lando. There's just cool stuff in that one. Yeah, no, Empire's Empire's a definite number two for me. Um but it's the the reasons it isn't quite there is just because it doesn't work as a self-contained movie, I think, as much. Uh, the Dagobah scenes really, really drag, really drag. Like people kind of like gloss over that, but when every minute Luke spends spends on Dagobah is like uh, deep cut for you uh, fantasy readers. Uh, every single page of Frodo and Sam in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> like you just want to skip. You just want to skip it. You want to skip it so bad. Um, and like it's important because it's setting up like a bunch of stuff about Luke just kind of being a whiner and like people who don't think that was intentional. Like he's supposed to be a whiner. Like the whole thing is that Luke Skywalker is kind of a whiny quitter. That's why Last Jedi worked. Like him him saying, no, fuck off, I'm leaving because he's kind of a whiny quitter. That's 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 Luke Skywalker. Um, and so it, it was good from like a character development standpoint, but so dreadfully boring. And then he really embraced the dreadfully boring aspects of his like auteur style at the, with the prequels George Lucas did. But um, Dagobah, Dagobah dragged. Yeah, the Hoth stuff is pretty awesome though. Like I Hoth rules. The set pieces, the set pieces in Empire are better than anything. Like Hoth is super cool. Um, the battle for Endor is super cool. Or no, that's sorry, Return of the Jedi. But um, the the battle with uh, Darth Vader and Cloud City is super cool. Like all those are and they're shot so beautifully. Like it it looks so gorgeous. Um but yeah, no, it's it's not as tightly contained I think as Star as uh, a New Hope Star Wars. So, I'll go with that one. The whole shield thing, like what can shields do and what can't they do? They just kind of change and like do you really need walkers? Like you have spaceships. Like I don't know, could they, but like they couldn't get through the shield like but the walkers can, but you have to they can only walk through the shield. They can't like fly like I I don't know. I don't, it yeah, seems to be strange. Yeah, very very strange. Why did they have to walk from such a distance? Like what? Yeah, what was going on? Also, like why walkers? Like wouldn't you have? You've got such advanced technology. What are you doing with something that looks like a big iron dog <laughs> that moves at like a mile per hour? There, there had to be some sort of advantage to it that you could get over tougher terrain or something. You know. They wear all-terrain armored vehicles or all-terrain armored tanks. Adats. What does an AT and AT stand for? ATAT. It's Adats, right? Like they were all-terrain armored. Yeah. Transport. Let's look this up. All-terrain armored transport. Look at you, buddy. Nice. Oh man, how how crazy are people being driven right now by, by this nuts. conversation? Uh, the second half yeah. of Bernie's question. <laughs> Ryan. Oh man, we did this to Bernie. <laughs> Bernie is losing his mind right now. He's the one who can't handle this stuff. Sorry, Bernie. I just, I I, He's, I love Star oh, Wars though. Oh man. Sorry, Bernie. And, that, and Sorry. Shane's thing was amazing, so it just kind of got me into it. And Dave did. I thought Dave crushed it last week when he named all the Star Wars stuff. I don't know if I would have been able to contribute. I mean, I would have just said yes to everything he said. So, uh, but <laughs> Shane's thing was good. But he Bernie wants to know. Who do you think will lead USC out of the out on the field in 2020 against Alabama? Yeah, so USC starts 
Uh, they play Alabama at the start of the 2020 season, one of those neutral site games. Um, because I predicted USC went, went seven and five in our um, when we picked all the games, I don't think Clay Hilton will be back as head coach. I have no idea who would be replace him. Um, I don't think it would be Urban Meyer unless there are some major changes. The new president has started at USC on July 1st, but uh, as of now, we haven't heard of any kind of big changes in the athletic department. So the longer that goes on without any big changes in the athletic department, I think the, the Urban Meyer chances go significantly down. Um, I think it'll be somebody else, but I don't know who it would be, Bernie. All right. Okay. And you want to talk more Star Wars or just do the last question? Oh, wait. There is no last question. Oh, there is no last question. Okay. Oh, that was like a marketing email or something. Yeah, no, it's... They... they, I can read it if you want me to. No, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was an email, but it was a marketing email, so... It was. It truly was. Well, that was good. We talked Star Wars... We talked a little bit of football, and it's still uh, we haven't even hit the hour and a half mark. Yeah. That was a clean, tight show, Ryan. I think it was fairly clean. Uh, vacation show. Um, we'll figure out what we can do. Uh, I'm actually going to be gone for Pac-12 Media Day, but I will have an intern there getting sound, so we should at least have something from that. Um, and you know, if I can pull off a, a you know transatlantic uh, podcast with Dave, where I'm in Dublin or something and we talk for an hour or something, you know, that would be great if we can, we'll try to pull that off. Yeah, we will try to pull it off. Um, as we do, uh, we always try to pull it off and, um, <laughs> well, you pulled, you, you did it. You did it last week. You, I pulled it. I pulled it off solo last week. Solo, I really did. You edited the show. You included my voicemail. You put it up yep. on the blog. Like you did all those things, which, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna say the odds were with you. They were certainly against you, and you did it. I added a little bit of like a little bit of audio trickery at the beginning. I faded in your audio over the intro audio, and then to me, it was astounding work. <laughs> the kind of stuff that poems, epic poems, will be written about in the years to follow. Pretty awesome. Charge of the Light Brigade and me <laughs> editing that podcast. They'll be spoken of in the same breath. Right. Now, w- the question is, could you do it again like a week later? Like- <laughs> no, I, I, I learn all skills, um, and I learn them all in extremely short-term memory, and then they all right. go away. Yes. So if, just because you did it last week doesn't mean if we ha- have to have you do it again next week, it could be done. There's no guarantee. Right. It, it could be done. Yeah. But it's not yeah. it's not guaranteed to be done just because it was done last week. Certainly not. No. Certainly not. All right. No. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh thanks for all the questions. And uh if we don't talk to you for a while, my apologies. I'll be going on vacation, but we'll get you something. We'll get you some stuff. We'll we'll figure it out. Um thanks to Dave. Uh thanks to Mac Weldon, and thanks to all of our listeners. And, uh, you know, Dave didn't know how to end the show last week. He's like, what do you say? I usually say what I say all the time. I'm like, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.